as adventure educators, it is incredibly common that we are going to have to talk about emotions with our participants. So in this episode of Vertical Playpen, we are going to be focusing specifically on vulnerability and emotions. What you're about to hear is a discussion between myself, Lisa Hunt, and Louise Wagner, and Ryan McCormick. I just pulled up because I just thought it'd be interesting to do so. I pulled up the dictionary definition of vulnerability. The quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed either physically or emotionally. And I think that, you know, in terms of what we're describing, we're talking about the feeling of being harmed emotionally in possibly some of the work we do. The question I would pose to the group, and I was thinking of myself as reading this, what, what makes us feel vulnerable? in the work that we do, what, what creates that moment for us that makes us feel like this is a potentially emotionally harmful experience that we're stepping into that makes us feel vulnerable. I think, um, there's a lot, it's probably different from person to person. I know for me, sometimes it's just like being embarrassed. Like that's sort of the the big fear. And I don't know where that always comes from, but again, it is that practice piece over time as you, as you spend either more time building trust within a group where it becomes comfortable and safe to do that or you just get used to it in general to sort of proclaim how you're feeling or express that. You know, it's around like being cranky sometimes and you're just tired or whatever it might be. And it's been so much easier to just say, hey, I'm exhausted or I'm I'm really cranky right now and edgy. That almost like just alleviates it versus when I don't and I try to like hide that and be like, ah, then I find myself being more snappy or just walking away frustrated. It's interesting, Phil, that, you know, thinking about the definition of it, I think that on its surface, vulnerability to me has this basic feeling of I'm exposing myself to judgment, or as you, you're suggesting, Ryan, being embarrassed. And there's, and I would also add for me, it's almost like once I say this or let this be known, I can't take it back. Like I've lost the ability to sort of control the way I'm seen in the world. And that's, that's the vulnerability for me. It's like, I'm going to let you in and then I can't take it back. And I think one of the ways that when I can get to that space, it benefits folks who I'm leading in a, a workshop. And this I was just sharing with you before we recorded, I tried a new activity in the Gathering Again workshop. And this is a new frontier for all of us. I said, I had this idea, I'd like to try it. And then what I saw throughout the day, folks were like, well, I want to try this and this. And just the, the way that folks were able to share seemed really important and valuable and and absolutely crucial right now. I think that as we're talking more about this, I realize that I sort of my automatic definition of vulnerability has to do with something that we share or disclose, whether it's in our behavior or in our words. But I also wonder if it's could be the opposite of when we when we don't share something, could that also be putting us in a vulnerable position. And the example is, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, being in front of some school leaders last week and not giving any of my sort of professional bio and introducing myself. I can relate to that early on. Like I look like I was 10 and people would, you know, you're working with educators that are are seasoned in a lot of cases, you know, and like I have to 
but it, I think as as the subject matter changed and it became more about personal sort of human things around emotions and the the social emotional component, I really started to fall into more what Lisa was saying around like I want to appear or come across as as new to this as everybody else that I don't have this mastered, that I'm going to role model, that I'm learning about emotions and I'm trying to increase my strategies in order to deal with tougher emotions as well. And I think that's where that's where that comes in of like, hey, we're going to talk about emotions rather than me coming across as saying like, here's all of my experience that says that I can actually have this conversation. And, and that's hard because I think for our educators, they're They've been trained in the content that they're teaching, so a math teacher or a history teacher. So they're feeling really competent in that, whereas this is somewhat new for, for most folks to start to try and normalize conversations about our emotional states with students in the class and having to be a participant in that is going to be most effective, at least for me. Like I know as soon as somebody comes across as like a therapist or uh, having all this experience and they're going to try to fix something, and I've really backed away from that. And just found the power of saying like, yeah, I understand that. Or who else feels that way to just try to make like, we don't have the solutions, but we have the ability to support each other and the ability to come up with strategies and solutions. And I think that that's part of it. Going back to the role modeling thing. How do we role model in a way that doesn't put us in a place that say like, I'm the expert, tell me your problems and I'll fix them. It's really about developing this conversation. Phil, in the beginning, you were sharing a book on emotions that you were reading with your daughter and the worry that we carry, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the, the end of that, it, it came around to having conversations of who else worries. And then that was the catalyst for like our worries to start to shrink and become more manageable as we share, like, well, what do you do when you get this way? And I think that's important. It's, it's like one thing to process our own emotions. But then, like, how do we get ourselves and students to try to consider the emotions of others is, is the equal part of that role modeling. It's not just me, but how do we look for role models within our own students or w within anybody, not just, oh, here's the educator. So how do you think this person feels? And, how, like, let's explore how they manage that so that we can learn about our own emotions through the, the sort of experiences and stories of others. I so appreciate, Lisa, your piece that you shared around like vulnerability isn't always like what we verbalize and share um, and it can be what we hold back. But as you are starting to speak, I think the uh, piece that I started to come to the front of my mind was thinking about that like our emotions are something that we can share verbally and we practice how do we communicate and label those emotions. But there's also so many ways that we can share how we're feeling through facial expression, through like, I, I don't know, I just think about like vulnerability and, and being able to like cry and have that be okay. And to know that there's been moments during our activities where people have been experiencing an intense emotion. And if they tear up, like, that's not like, oh, you need to go dismiss yourself and put yourself together. Like, you are welcome to be a part of this circle in this space in this conversation while there's like tears in your eyes you're also welcome to like do what you need to and take a step away but like it is okay i just think about ways that i've like tapped into like showing emotions there was a moment on the challenge course last fall and a student was being really silly and kind of like playing tricks. And as they were coming down off the element, they decided that they were going to pretend upon like they were lying down on the ground when the, I brought them down, that they were like poised, ready to lie down. And then they pretended to not wake up. And I was like, this kid is kidding. I know. 
And then as I started to like be like, hey, I need you to get up. Hey, I need you to get up. And they just continued to play like they were sleeping or unconscious. And I started to get nervous and I made sure the student was okay. They were like, ha ha, so funny. And I was like, that's not funny. And once making sure the student was good to go and sent them to get some space, I like timed myself out where I had a group of students that were all ready to climb. And I was like, I'm just got really scared. I need a moment and took my like unhooked myself from the belay device, like put the element away for a moment and like took a break, took a little walk and like came back to the group and was like, I just really needed a moment. I had the like strategies where I could have just like put on the like everything's fine face and moved on to the next student. But I wanted everyone to be a part of that peace to know that like we can manage those emotions we can take a moment we can slow down we can be present with those emotions we can show those and followed up with the student later and was like I was really scared I got really nervous how are you feeling what was going on in your mind how do you think other people felt but just making sure that we take the time and make the space for that those emotions are okay and that we can emote those both with our words but also with our body's facial expressions I think that's so important, Dan Louise, and it reminds me of how in facilitation we talk about, or in, in education, we talk about how we want to be neutral in some ways. And for me, what, where I want to be neutral is I don't want to name what's challenging or easy or whatever for anyone. So I want to sort of create that blank slate. But at the same time, I don't want to be a blank slate. You know, and so where do those two concepts intersect? I think that's a really important thing to consider. And as you talk about that scenario, you are creating a moment, just what I know based on you as a facilitator, where everyone sort of could establish what was challenging, what was not, what they want to do for their climb. And yet there's a place for you to say, this is how it impacts me. And I think that's what I, I've noticed in, you know, edge leadership programming is that every everyone is a participant in it. And so it's never a case of this hierarchy of everyone in different positions that we're all a part of it. When in the summer program, the teachers are equal participants to the students coming in. And the same goes when you're in the classroom. I think that that's a, that's a part of that role modeling, the vulnerability that we all can address things just like you did, Anne Louise. But if a kid is feeling a certain way or a participant is, they can also mention it in the same way and they they know they can because you've just role modeled that you did it i think the people don't know that they can do something until sometimes we demonstrate that it is okay to do and so i think that that's something i think that that is a challenge when we're going from traditional education and then also even the tech trainings that i lead that i have a piece of information that i am sharing down you know i'm passing that information down the ranks whereas in this it's we're all working towards the same goal and we all we're all coming from equal planes of like we all feel this way like that i've constantly enjoyed the hands up if you feel this way because i think that that creates the ability for people to be able to feel like they're all part of the exact same they're part of a community rather than isolated on their own feeling a certain way on their own and that's where we don't want to speak up because we don't want to look silly in front of our peers or because we're feeling a certain way and others aren't That book that Ryan referenced, it's uh, I'm going to show it on the screen, but I'm also going to speak because you can't see the screen. But it says, As Ruby Finds a Worry by Tom Percival. I read it to my daughter last night for the first time. So it's 
very fortuitous that we're recording this. I liked it for that reason that it does talk about talking and sharing. It's not about holding stuff in, about sharing how you feel. And then you realize you're not alone. Um, and that helps some of the worries disappear. I'm wondering, I don't have an answer to this. I don't know if this is too vulnerable of a question, but is there an emotion for you that you think w- would be one of the harder ones to admit that you're experiencing on the scale of like not vulnerable to really vulnerable? What's on that higher end of like naming I'm feeling this? Right away, I think about envy, which is like, ooh, you know, people can associate that with sin and all this, but just the pure fact of like envying sort of what others might have. And I think in in the career, sometimes I have to put myself in check of like, is it really just envying a success moment for somebody else? Might be something I'm working on. And then all of a sudden, like, there it is, right? And that that's hard. And I find myself like it, the behavior kind of feels judgmental, where I start putting stuff down. But it's like, it's hard, like, I'm getting better, like, recognize that internally, like, where is this an ego thing? Is this sort of some envy around someone else's success or, or the tools that they're putting out there? It's like, for me, it goes beyond just myself, but, you know, the success of High Five and peers and things of like, ah, did we wait too long? Now this is out there. Da, 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 da. And then I start like saying like, this is what, that's not great. And they hurried and all of those things. And really just comes back to this like insecurity around my own work and creativity and what High Five's doing and our time. All those things come together. As I become more aware of that, I come much faster at, at saying like, oh, there's that feeling again. And then I can uh, ca- just calm down and let it go. It's just there's no more strategy other than that. It's just recognizing like, oh, okay, this is a little bit of either my ego or feeling some envy around this. And then it's like, whew. whereas in the past, I find myself sort of like being really negative around things. And it still comes back. And sometimes it's like, yeah, that's just, I don't like it. It's not envy. It's just like, yeah, that's like really poor quality. But anyways, I, that that's the one that's like really hard because it's attached to so many other things and securities and egos and all that to be like, I'm feeling envious. That'd be one. <laughs> I would say I was recently with a, a group of other parents uh, of toddlers and we were talking about how our kids are having crazy mood swings. Yeah, there's lots of stuff going going on that would relate to that. But then I said, of all the adults, are none of you having crazy mood swings? Because I certainly am. It's like, I think it's funny that we're seeing it in our kids, but I'm experiencing it also in myself. The, the emotion that for me that I struggle to share is anger because it's it's so tied to negative connotations of the behavior that comes from anger. I've found myself occasionally getting angry and having to take a step away, but then not addressing that I was angry. Like, why are you stepping away? I just need my own space. Leave me alone. But not saying it's because I'm angry right now. I've got better at being vulnerable around my emotions of insecurities and the anxieties that I feel and all that kind of stuff. I've got better at being able to discuss, but moments of tipping over the end of feeling angry, I avoid saying it. So sometimes I think a perception is that I'm, calm a lot but um anyone at home knows that that's not true <laughs> this is a fascinating question I, I can't wait to be with a group where i can prompt this with participants and see and uh, you all have heard this story i'll share it with the listeners i and i kind of have a doctor's note for it is it my like my biology i like naturally express myself with tears when i'm feeling like very happy or excited or like anything that's like beyond the like baseline <laughs> like up or down and I've had chronic problems with my sinuses over the years. And I had a very insightful doctor say, well, do you try to hold your tears in? And I was like, yes. And the doctor said, well, that's why you always have sinus infections. So I sort of like I had to like discipline myself to like 
literally when I feel the hot tears in my eyes, which I do like multiple times, whether it's like a beautiful flower or like a really insightful comment, like it's there. I'm like, I can't get a sinus infection. Gotta let it happen. That used to feel really scary to admit, like let those tears happen. I would like walk away from the group or pretend I had something in my eye and I've had to get over it and it works out okay. I think people who know me just know to expect that and I'm grateful. I think that's an interesting comment just on the different ways that we perceive physical health and mental health just in that in that one statement. It takes the doctor's note to say it's a sinus infection issue for it to be okay to cry. But it really does. I think it would be the same exact same thing for me. It's like, oh, you get this like, oh, I've got a sign thing. I'm allowed to do this because the doctor says I can. And I used to share that story with everyone almost as my like, see, this is why. And I probably still, I have to, that's a good awareness for me to be like, how often do I share that story as my like, this is why I'm explaining why I am the way I am. It's amazing. Like this has been something I think we've all talked about a bunch is, is creating space for people to cry and being okay with it. You know, it seems like there it's okay to to do other things, but that one, it, more and more people in my life, I'm ex- having the same conversation and finding the sort of the practice and time to allow that to happen has been like really pretty awesome and sort of transforms the relationship in a lot of ways. I think that coupled with, I don't have to have the solution for you. Like I'm just being okay with this. And for myself too, when I feel that way, I feel like sort of blessed that I have friends in particular, male friends who, who can show those emotions and can cry and hug and say, it's going to be okay. I mean, I grew up in a family where, you know, if you started to cry, especially as a, as a male, they would be like, get a hold of yourself, man. Like, what are you doing? It'd be associated with being a baby or, you know, all this other stuff that just really becomes offensive. I really appreciate my life now being able to create that space and have that space for people to just cry and not have any judgment on it. Be like, what, do you want me to scream and yell? Let's talk about like the apologies for emotions. It's like that's come up as a topic in the last couple of years. And when you become aware of it, you see how many people apologize specifically for that. And I've seen that a lot lately from from leadership. Somebody gets emotional about something that you should be emotional about and see that it's just part of the experience. But it's easier said than done. We're just programmed because I do the same thing. Ah, I'm sorry. Like I'm taking up your time. I'm burdening you with my issues. What, Ryan, what do, what do we do as as group leaders, teachers, facilitators in that moment when someone's doing that? Because I, like in a knee-jerk way, say, don't apologize. But then I'm telling them what to do. And I that's not something that I want to have in my toolkit either. So like, what's the response in, in those moments that has been effective for folks? Yeah, it is hard not to say don't apologize. I find myself saying that in more one-on-one conversations. But I think facilitating within a group, again, I go back to the like trying to create some awareness that we all experience this, whether that's hand raising or just asking straight out, has anybody else sort of experienced challenges around this or whatever it might be? Yeah. And then later, like if it's, if there's a lot of apologizing going on for people's behaviors, like it's a conversation, like later we ask those questions, like, have you ever had an emotion that you you really tried to hide? You didn't want anybody to know sort of what the conversation and the question that, that we were just talking about. And it's the same thing there. Have we ever apologized for emotions? And, and sometimes the answer might be yes, because it's more apologizing for the behavior. Like if I'm feeling like exhausted or, or cranky and I snap at somebody, then I should probably apologize. 
but it is the question is have you ever felt sort of sad and, and cried or whatever and then apologize for that or because it you know it goes back to that and i think Anne louise said it at some point like the emotions are all okay they're yours you can have them whether they're like big scary ones or really dark ones or just happy ones they're they're okay it's the behavior that's not okay in every circumstance so how we react or how we let the emotions influence our behavior and that that's sort of what we're trying to do is create awareness around the emotion and then find a more effective way to manage that so when phil said like i get angry and i have to step away like that that's that's a strategy right i'm going to step away so i don't allow myself to continue to escalate yeah i think that an apology is just stems from the fact that emotions aren't okay. And you're apologizing that you're experiencing something in a way that's not hidden and is in front of other people. Or that I also think that like there's some emotions that folks might, if I was really sad in this moment, I might be looking for support from you all. I could also just be looking to like coexist while being sad. So there's some emotions that might be like asking some kind of energy and care and compassion from others. And there's like an apology attached to that that could be broken down and worked with. If somebody's upset in front of me, I am uncomfortable and I want to make them feel better. I don't focus. I mean, that's something I need to work on. But I totally recognize that in myself, especially when I'm in a facilitated space. I think I'm I'm more thoughtful around how I'm working with the people and the emotions that they're bringing. But in an ideal way, I would be just allowing for that to happen and not be trying to fix that. That's probably some advice and things that I could bring to other parts of my life when I'm not facilitating, that it doesn't need to be fixed or changed or moved on from, but just creating that okay space in order to be, I think is key. And so how to just keep reiterating that through the questions that you asked, like Ryan named, through the words that you're using, through your reaction. Yeah. I, I remember years ago when I first got out of school and we were looking at uh, choice theory, which is William Glasher's work, and they had applied that to sort of camp counseling. And it was uh, around like kids being homesick or upset or whatever it might be. And it was in the beginning, there was always that question when somebody said, oh, I'm feeling this way. Your first question was around like, well, do you want to feel that way? It always seemed ridiculous. But the over the years realized like sometimes, yeah, I, I need to, it's not like, oh, I want to be upset right now, but I'm still processing and I needed to sit in that. But it's like when I get to the, to the answer with even myself or somebody else that says no, and then again, it's not offering advice. It's asking like, well, can you imagine yourself not being upset? And, and what does that look like? And how do we get there? Like helping people answer their own questions. It's like way more empowering. We do this on the challenge course, right? It's like with the rescues and uh, beyond basics. Like we try to do everything to help people sort of take care of themselves first. So we talk them through things. We allow them to try things. It's like not until it gets to a place where when you know that place of like, okay, I have to step in and I have to rescue this person, right? Because being rescued is probably embarrassing. It's a place of vulnerability right in the center of attention. But how do we help people do that? It's the same thing with, with the emotional pieces, or at least my take on it. Like, how do I help people through questions kind of look for their own strategies and sort of like, oh, here, I have the control in order to do this. But I always love that question. Do you want to be frustrated? And when staff, you know, you're new to it. So you're just like using those statements like straight out like that. You get better at asking that question, not so obviously, you know. And I remember people like asking me like, what's wrong? It's like, I'm really frustrated. Do you want to be frustrated? Yes. 
<laughs> Don't choice theory me. Yeah. Okay, great. But sometimes that answer is yes, which is really like, I'm not ready to not be frustrated. I just need to like think about this for a minute. But I still answer that and I kind of, that in itself makes me laugh a little bit. Like, do you want to be upset? Like, kind of, yeah. It's it's interesting, um, Aloise, you mentioned around other people's comfort because I have found myself in periods of not feeling comfortable with other people's being having emotions. Like I, I, I know I've said at certain points, stop crying. <laughs> not even like, <laughs> I was getting in a nice way. It's like more like stop crying because I feel bad that you're crying. <laughs> there's, there's an awareness also about how we feel when other people share emotions. That is interesting how that immediately creates an emotional response in me when I see other people emoting. And I think that's probably the discomfort is probably where people came from when they would say, stop crying, you know. But yeah, when people tell you to not show an emotion, I think it comes from the discomfort that they feel. Um, And I've experienced feeling discomfort when other people have emotions, which is is a good awareness piece as well. And it's part of the adventure experience. We have to balance like how much do we take care of people because we, we do activities that are adventurous and they can involve fear or frustration. There's a lot of social interaction that can that can bring up a lot of emotions. So it's always that balance of like when when do we step in and not over nurture or take care of it so that there's something to discuss. So there's an experience that sort of drives that change later on or that learning. But it, but it is hard. And we do activities that bring that up for, for educators to see like how quickly they jump in and stop and manage stuff so that it doesn't get to a point. And it, sometimes it, it robs people of the empowering like self-management skills or just, just the ability to, to experience like, okay, what I did got me here. And so I want to make changes so that that doesn't happen again or become a pattern. But yeah, we want, you know, especially in our summer program, because we really, it's the edge of leadership. So we're pushing people to the edge of sort of who shows up for them when things get challenging. And it's hard. I, we, I see instructors and, and other folks and even fellow participants and teachers in the program try to jump in and manage those emotions and like, oh, everything's fine. Okay. But let's, let's not, let's not go here. But yeah, but then you don't want it to go too far. So it's, that's, it's exhausting at the end of the day when you're doing that kind of programming because it's, you're, always trying to analyze, should I step in? Should I not step in? Just to wrap this up, because we've, we've been, we've been talking a while and it's been a good conversation. If we could go like one person at a time and share maybe one strategy or one concrete thing that they do with groups that I think that demonstrates maybe the opportunity for vulnerability or demonstrates the opportunity for sharing and awareness around how we're feeling. We've touched on so many points as we went through the questions we asked, the hands raised about feeling connected, any specific strategies that people use. And I can start. So I, I've been a big fan recently of using challenge zones, which is a central circle and then an outer perimeter. The central circle representing comfort, the the middle representing a challenge zone or a growth zone or a stretch zone in the outer perimeter representing panic. And I recently started using our Ubuntu cards as an avatar for our place rather than having people step in when I give a scenario like how do you feel about swimming and then they stand where they feel are they comfortable? Is it a stretch or is that panicking for them? They just place a card that represents them and then we're able to take a step back and look at all the the range of people's representation on it. I like it because I think it shows the vulnerability around certain questions that you might ask. So especially right now, we've been asking questions about physical distance. How do we feel about wearing masks? And they can place themselves in those positions. 
One person in a recent uh, gathering game workshop noted that she really liked the activity because at no point did you say that where people were placing themselves was wrong, but it was more about we're just aware of where everyone is placing themselves in different comfort and how we feel at different positions in in, in different scenarios. That's an activity that I've, I've enjoyed using because I think that allows me to show where I'm also as a facilitator vulnerable in certain positions. And then I open up to the group to be able to share their own scenarios that they would like to be able to demonstrate. And we place ourselves within that scenario. I have like two little things. I don't, they don't really, I can't really smush them together, but I'm not going to use my brain power in order to smush them together. I'm going to speak to both of them, but they're both small. One is like accepting when a lot of times when we've been talking about emotions with students, they'll use a variety of different ways in order to capture how they're feeling or how they're speaking to emotions. As we're building vocabulary, we're going to use a range of different reference points. So someone might say, I feel energized. Someone else might say, I feel like what I feel like when I wake up after sleeping in. And that's like their word for energized, but they wouldn't use that because they don't have that vocabulary yet. Other people might relate it to a song. Like there's just like so many different ways. And we use the mood meter that has colors. And so as we're talking about this subject and we're building that vocabulary, really leaning into the all the variety of ways that people in some really creative and cool ways speak to how they might be feeling. So that's one piece. And then has there ever been a moment where you were told that you shouldn't feel something? And when I asked that to students, they were all like, yes. And then it was like, great, let's speak more about that. And that was a moment where I feel like it engaged in some really good conversation where they were able to have some feelings that they felt like they couldn't have validated, but then starting to switch that lens of like, and how do you sometimes do that to your friends? That starts to bridge the gap into thinking about other people. So that question of, has there been a moment where you have been told or made to feel like you shouldn't experience an emotion? What was that? And how do we be aware that we do that to others? I think for me, this is just more of a a mental framework or something to carry into conversations. And we tend to get distracted by activities in the work we do. It's experiential. So we love the activities. And those can be more concrete. But I think with this topic in particular, to really prioritize the conversation, right? When people are sort of ready or they want to stop the activity and engage in the conversation, because that's going to be the important piece. We're trying to teach people to normalize or become more comfortable talking about conversations, which is not something most folks are really comfortable with. So that would be my sort of advice or like tip on that. Because sometimes it's easy to just stay engaged in the activity, but the activity is just trying to give sort of reason for conversation. And we want people to learn the conversation skill, not the activity. So they sort of eventually don't need the the mood meter and those kinds of things in order to recognize we've built those skills and we can just have a conversation and it's not awkward. We just, yep, here it is and move on. And I think I do like two pieces. The other piece, and I mentioned, I think briefly somewhere in the beginning, but not always focusing on on the individual, like your own emotions and expressing that, but getting people in the practice. This is the empathy piece of what they might see in others. How might that make others feel? And then how can you support them? What was their strategy? Uh, So again, it's not just an inward thing, but it is developing that like, Right. We all show these things differently. So how do you think people felt this way? Or if a student's expressing concern for a friend, right? how might they be feeling? And then how might you, how could you support that person? What could you do to help? Those are great tips. I'm not sure if I have anything concrete to add that would really add to the quality of that list. 
I've been using this at home a lot and it's a little bit scary to say this as much as I've had to, but it's like, I don't know. I don't know how, what the busing situation is going to be like from my fourth grader. I don't know. And then not immediately following it up with, but here, you know, like here's exactly how we're going to find out. Just like let the, I don't know, be the invitation to a conversation. I think that's something I can practice more of. I think that's a great tip, Lisa. (laughs) That definitely goes into the list. I don't know, but I'm here for you. Awesome. Thank you so much, everyone. It's been a fun conversation. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for getting. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>